0: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb.
0: And I'm Julie Douglas.
1: Julie, do you like spring? Do you like the season, spring?
0: Of course I do. Yeah? How could you not like spring?
1: It's true. It's it, Even even though I've never been a summer person, or I used to not be a summer person, mm-hmm. I, I always did like spring because... No matter how short your spring is, depending on where you live, and it feels like we have very short springs at times here uh, in the south, uh, it's it's a time when things begin to come alive a little bit, but not everything is alive yet. Not all of the really annoying things have uh, have, have sprung up around you, such as the mosquitoes necessarily or the, the poison ivy, all the things that drive you indoors indoors. Um, But it's just nice enough to to exist outside, to not have to turn on the air conditioning or the heat. You can sit around, you can read, you're comfortable out there in nature uh, as uh, perhaps God intended.
0: Um, For me, it's just emerging from winter's dark shadow, right? Uh Because you have been inside, you've been, you know, you've had cabin fever, and all of a sudden you can step outside and the sun is a shining and the festivals are, are all over the place, especially in Atlanta. April is festival of go-go time. And for me, the best sign of spring in Atlanta is when you see people walking down the sidewalks with their pillows for international pillow fight day.
1: I did not know this existed.
0: April 5th. Huh. Yeah. Um, because really, I mean, you've got that big blue sky. People are about to clobber each other with, with soft weapons.
1: Is this a thing? This sounds, this is a little crazy, like, uh, Shirley Jackson's The Lottery, you know? Like, it, it sounds like something you would encounter in some isolated town and then you would, you no. would report we back in heart. No.
0: Yeah, Freedom Parkway. Well, actually, I think this year it's going to be in Grant Park, but every huh. year in Freedom Parkway, people gather <laughs> with their pillows and, uh, you see feathers just to fly in.
1: Wow. Well, that, that is strange. But indeed, it, to your point though, spring is a time where you, you come out of your, your hibernation, you come out of the darkness, and to, to get to, like down to the very primal roots of it, springtime means the winter didn't kill us. Uh, yeah. That, that, uh, that God or the gods did not abandon us to the darkness and the chill of night. Like springtime came and it saved our lives. Right. Uh, things are growing again, food is available again, and it's to be celebrated.
0: And you see this in different cultures, you know, since time immemorial, right? Because people are, they're relieved and they're going outside and they are celebrating this. You see this in the Festival of Holly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this is a celebration of the colors of unity and brotherhood. Um, you see this in India where people go around and they pelt each other in the face with all these beautiful different colored oh, yes. um, sands. And this is a way of saying, as you say, hey, guess what? We all made it. All of us are brothers and sisters in this whole human thing.
1: We survived another another winter. yeah. I mean, in the Christian tradition, of course you have the uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus as well, which uh, which fits sure, right yeah. in there and plays upon on older uh, Easter traditions uh, as well. Now now it also brings up the question, why must we have tax season? Right in the spring, like that seems to really just uh, sour the whole equation. It's like we finally come out, we're free, we're alive, now you have to pay taxes. It's kind of like having to worry with your car tags when your birthday comes along.
0: Oh, it's just like the IRS to be like, ha, 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 spring, you think everything is renewing and emerging? Death to your money.
1: Exactly. I mean, because it comes back, what what are the two things you can't dodge in life, right? Death and taxes. Death and taxes. Yep. And they are interlaced with each other, death and taxes, at a very uh, basic level. But that's a rant for another time.
0: Yes, that is. Um, so let's talk about this idea of spring a little bit more in the context of how it might just not only symbolize this reemergence, but uh, it may even change our behavior. But before we get to that, we should probably talk about how much time we spend
1: indoors. Yes, and it's pretty... Pretty disturbing, because most of us, we, we go through our lives and we don't necessarily think of it in those terms. Like, we're not keeping a precise diary of how much time we spend outside.
0: Dear diary.
1: Yeah. I mean, I feel a little more in, in touch with it these days, with the with the toddler, because taking the toddler outside to the park. is huge. And so, when, like, suddenly not being able to go outside for a few days or, or a week is, is very noticeable, because it starts... F- you know, clawing at your sanity.
0: Yeah, well, uh, according to the Environmental Protection Agency, Americans spend about 87% of their time indoors and another 6% in their vehicles. Wow. And as you say, you probably you don't really unless you are you know putting it down in your diary you don't realize because you think well I went outside to go to the grocery store I went outside to do the other errand and you feel like you've had outside experiences when in fact you have been inside sort of cloistered especially if you work in an office right
1: yeah and uh, and you see you know different surveys make that percentage a little higher too like I've seen uh, seen ninety percent for Americans on a two thousand nine EPA. Uh, study. I've seen ninety-five, ninety-three percent for uh, uh, people in industrialized countries. On another study, so it it's a well, pretty,
0: yeah, shocking
1: it, percentage to, to really think about.
0: Yeah, especially you take that eighty-seven percent plus that six percent, you get that ninety-three. Really, yeah, inside Be- a location, right? That's sealed in,
1: right? And that's key because we we uh, we did a whole episode talking about how artificial indoor environments. Uh, how those are really alien environments that we've we've created, like n- not only just structurally, but also the, uh, the, the, the 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 microbiology of those structures, the things yeah. that we're breathing in. We've created these strange realities that are separate from the natural environment with we've evolved to thrive in.
0: That's right. We did we looked at that study with hospitals opening their windows to let fresh air in and mm-hmm. their fresh microbes, I guess you could say, and that being exceedingly beneficial to the patients. Um, um, now also consider that when you are inside you are most likely sitting down or lying down And the latter, of course, is necessary for sleep. But the former, as we know, is associated with a smorgasbord of physical ailments, including an increased risk of type 2 diabetes. So all of this sedentary inside stuff, not so great for us. And, of course, it would play out in many different ways.
1: Yeah, I also want to point out that, according to the EPA, indoor levels of pollutants may be two to five times higher and occasionally more than a 100 times higher than outdoor levels, which is important to think about, especially here in, in Atlanta, where occasionally we receive these alerts saying that if you are very young or very old, please don't go outside today yeah. because the air might destroy you. Um, but then you have to start, stop and think, well, what what kind of air am I fleeing to? You know.
0: Yeah. But let's let's get down to the more like rainbows and kitten farts here thing okay. about yeah. Sorry, it. Sorry, I was descending
1: into darkness. I know, again.
0: I know. But let's take out the sun and look at it because uh, it shall shine upon us and, and take away all of our ailments. The power of the sun is immense. Uh, when you step out into the sun, those rays are about 149 million kilometers away. And when they hit your skin, they unleash a chemical chain reaction that benefits us. For instance, vitamin D is produced.
1: Yes, which most of us do not get enough of.
0: No, and that helps to absorb calcium in foods and which of course that helps to grow bone and, and, and uh, maintain bone health. And it also helps to bolster the immune system. So it makes sense that when you go out into the sun, wonderful things happen. But uh, you should wear sunscreen, of course.
1: Yes, yeah. There's a there's of course too much light makes the baby go blind, as they say.
0: Now, a more quantitative look at this is a 2008 study published in the Journal of Psychological Science which looked at the cognitive benefits of spending some time interacting with old nature. University of Michigan psychologist Mac Berman took a sample group of 36 people, broke them into two groups, and then put them through a series of rigorous cognitive tests. He then let each group take breaks, one group walking around a city street and the other through a secluded wooded park. Now, of course, who do you think performed better on the cognitive tests? Later on, and, and of course, memory being one of those things, the nature group, because the idea is that strolling in a city forces the brain to constantly remain vigilant as you navigate cars and people and you suss out the relevant information from, from irrelevant information. Um, so for instance, relevant, oh, don't step in that poop, irrelevant, there's a sale on bras, <laughs> right? Um, the end result is that those those city walkers are having a less restorative scenario for their brains and your prefrontal cortex is very occupied. So your cognitive functioning in terms of learning is not going to be as great.
1: So it, it kind of takes our sort of everyday myopic view of the world, that, that flashlight view, and maybe opens it up a little bit, uh, a little more lamp-like, where we're actually absorbing sense data a little more openly.
0: Yeah, because you're in a calm environment, um, you don't have to worry about what's coming next so much.
1: And of course, it's fascinating too when you you start then asking the question, well, how much time do I need to spend out of the day? I'm spending this enormous, like uh, like hovering near ninety percent of of my life is spent indoors. So how much of of that do I have to give back? Like some op- impossible amount? Do I have to give back forty percent, fifty percent? Well, studies show that just five minutes a day can give you that boost in mental health. Just five minutes. Like that's that's not even that's not even all of your lunch break, you know? That's just uh that's just a a leaving work five minutes early or something.
0: Yeah, that's from a 2010 research published in the journal Environmental Science and Technology. And they looked at self-esteem in nature and they found that just that the five minutes uh of people who were engaged in exercise, cycling, walking, running, gardening, farming, um if you had that amount of time then your self-esteem and your mood would be elevated. And, of huh. course, they me- they measured this using standard psychological tests before and after the activities.
1: Now, smoke breaks don't count, though, right?
0: Uh, I don't recall <laughs> that being covered. It would depend,
1: I guess, on the nature of your smoke break, but prob- probably not.
0: So, of course, the idea begins to emerge. We should frolic outdoors daily for at least five minutes, more if possible. Right. But... Is there something to spring itself? Are these days of sunshine really special? And that sense of, of reemergence is is that well founded? Is that not just symbolic? Do you should we just take off spring from work?
1: <laughs> well, there's spring break, of course, which uh, you know to a certain extent. Just one week. Just one week, yeah. But In you're the talking United about the States. whole season. Yes. Okay. Well yeah, this gets into the whole question. Is there not only a link between spring and mood, but is there a link between weather and mood, between climate and mood? Like, how much of what's going on in the environment is affecting my mental state to begin with, right? Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to answer that very question. All right, we're back, and we're uh, discussing this question: Does the weather, does the climate, does this uh, everything going on outside the window, does it affect affect our mood? And we often fall into the trap of thinking that it just universally does. We've all seen uh, the cartoon image of the depressed person with their own personal rain cloud hovering over their head, right? Yeah. Uh, and so, and it's easy to, to, to fall into that trap of say thinking that well, everyone in Seattle must be depressed because it's raining all the time, or I really want to boost my mood, I want to move somewhere where. The weather's nicer, and therefore my internal weather will be nicer as well. But when you actually analyze it, this doesn't really hold up.
0: No, uh, Matthew Keller, a lead researcher of the meta-study at Warm Heart and a Clear Head, the contingent effects of weather on mood and cognition, says, quote, everyone thinks weather affects mood, but the biggest test of this theory in two thousand, in the year 2000 found no relationship. So we went back and found that there are two important variables, how much time you spend outside and what the season is. If you go from winter to spring and spend enough time outside, there is a noticeable change.
1: So it's this change that's key this uh, this emergence from the dark into the light, from the cold into the warm, and actually getting out there and experiencing it, that's what can actually make um, a difference on your cognitive state.
0: Yeah, and it is a certain degree of temperature that will actually make the biggest impact on your state of mind. And we'll talk a little bit more about Keller's research, but I just wanted to mention that all of this has to do with spring because a peak mood occurred at 67.4 degrees Fahrenheit. And this is kind of the Goldilocks of temperature, not too cold, not too hot, that you see in spring. So yeah. when we talk about some of these different aspects of the research, keep in mind that that's the perfect spring day weather, right, where you've got the blue skies and, um, you know, you're just as comfortable as you can be. It's almost like a, the metaphor of being in, in the womb and floating around and into your you know the edges of your body just melting into everything else around you maybe you don't have the exact uh feeling of that when you go out your front door in that weather but there is a feeling of comfort
1: well yeah i think but i think we often do have that that feeling you know again it comes back to that whole realization Hey, the weather is nice enough outside. I don't have to turn on the the heat. I don't have to turn on the air conditioning. I can open a window. Or you walk outside on the spring day and you say, "Hey, it's nicer outside than it is indoors," which is such an insane thing to say, but 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 it's true.
0: And then you feel the edges of your body melting around you, and you think, ah. Oh. I felt this before somewhere. All right, let's talk about these studies. There was one in which 97 people reported their mood and how much time they spent outside. Then they were asked to remember a series of numbers. They were also given a short, favorable description of a fake employee. And then they were given additional, unfavorable information about that same person and asked to assess the employee's competence and performance on the days... With high pressure, that's clear sunny days when you have high barometric pressure, people who spent more than 30 minutes outside saw an increase in memory, mood, and flexible thinking styles. Those who spent the time indoors, though, they saw a decrease. So when they talk about flexible thinking styles, we're talking about a sense of openness. So they were regarding that employee and some of the more unsavory details about that person in a more open-minded way. And, and kind of giving them a pass on those days that there was beautiful weather and they were spending a, a good chunk of it outside.
1: Interesting, interesting.
0: Now, the second experiment, they asked 121 people to spend time outside, of course, or inside on a warm, clear, beautiful day. Have you ever had that experience where you, you both have been outside just frolicking or you've been inside chained to your computer looking longingly outside? <laughs>
1: Yeah, kind of. I think I had one of those days last week where it was inside here, the office, all day doing stuff, and then I went outside at the end of the day to go home and realized it was beautiful, and I felt this this deep sadness because I knew that one of the few uh, nice days that we have in the city had, was lost to me.
0: Well, that is exactly what happened in this experiment. Of course, people who went outside, their moods were lifted. Uh, they, they felt great, They had some pep in their step, but the people who were chained to their desks and made to stay inside were angry about it.
1: Now they weren't physically chained in the experiment, it's worth noting, just, just to be clear.
0: No, there's a rope.
1: There's a oh, rope, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you don't want it to, to rub too much. Exactly. Right, to, yeah. Their leg.
0: And then the third study, the researchers uh, collected data through a website from 387 respondents who lived in various climates. Because what they wanted to do here is to try to get out of the northern climates that they were already in and make sure that they had some other representations of climates throughout the world.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And they correlated the submissions with the weather in each city for that day. And they found that participants who spent more time outside during the spring, but not during any other season, had better moods overall.
1: So again, everyone is coming outside. Everyone is emerging. It's like that—that that, uh, the, the the flower is opening to the warmth of the world. Society is is coming alive again. Everyone's creeping outside of the cave, but turns out there's a dark side to this as well. And to to understand it, we have to first back up a little bit to Christmas time. Now now Christmas, the holidays whatever you want to call them, whatever they are to you, they are essentially the, uh, around the darkest times of the winter, when things are at their, at their, their, their blackest, things are at their coldest, and a lot of uh, what's going on there at a deeper level is about the hope that spring will come again, that if we do right by nature, by the God, by gods, by ourselves, whatever, we can survive the rest of this night and emerge into springtime. And there's this myth that uh, has just stayed with us, largely because it's uh, repeated over and over again in the media that suicide rates are higher during the holidays. And it's an easy one to buy because, yeah, people get down sometimes in the holidays. It can be a little sad, you know, suddenly you're having the holidays, and someone that you've lost isn't there with you anymore. or you're you know you're experiencing some degree of seasonal affective disorder. the The world's dark, everything's colder. Maybe that's getting you down as well. But according to the Annenberg Public Policy Center, it's yeah the idea that uh, suicide rates peak during the holidays is complete complete bunk and the media should stop <laughs> repeating it and driving home this falsehood.
0: Yeah, Brian Palmer writing for Slate Magazine says it's a convenient narrative that we keep picking up, lonely people becoming despondent around Christmas time. Um, the, the real information here is that suicide actually peaks in the spring and summer. Mm -hmm. And if you start to try to suss out all of the reasons why it becomes very difficult. Now, um, when Palmer was writing this article for Slate Magazine about suicide upticks in spring and summer, he went through some various, uh, theories about it. Mm -hmm. But I just wanted to say that there's no one, like, unified theory here. And a lot of it has to do with that person's particular circumstance. It's not just because this person happened to work in this kind of job in Uruguay at the right. time, but we should probably run through it because uh, it is really interesting.
1: The one that seems to, to ring the most uh, with the most truth for me is the uh, is the socio demographic uh, factor, and this is the idea that. During winter, what are you doing? You're surviving the winter. You're kind of hibernating in some way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. You know, you're you're buckling down. You're 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 just about get through the holidays, get through the new year, uh, you know, throw in, you know, weird work schedules and trips and more time with the family. You know, it's going to vary case to case, obviously. But for the most part, you can say that throughout this this winter, you are. You're keeping it close. You know, you're shutting off. You're not really dealing with as many people uh, in the outside world. But then when spring comes, everyone's getting out and about. Uh, there, you know, suddenly everyone has new projects that you're launching at work. It's not about just oh, well, let's get through all the weird work cycle of the holidays. It's suddenly like let's have meetings and get things done. Let's start building things together. Oh, and then oh, and then taxes are here. We have to pay the taxes as well. Uh, suddenly, the socio demographics of the world around you are erupting and coming together, and things that say that that you know tr- problems in your life that you might have been able to to dodge by hiding from them suddenly. You're not able to hide from them as well, you know, or plans that you had made uh, suddenly um, have to come together in a different way. I mean, it's you're suddenly exposed to more frustration, more conflict in your life, and if uh, if and and that can spill over into uh, self destruction. Yeah,
0: a good example of this is the paper is occupation relevant in suicide, and this studied suicides in Finland during the years of 1988 to 1999. And what it found is that the spring suicide peak is more pronounced among people employed on farms or in factories who experience greater seasonal variation in the intensity of work and social interactions. In addition, developing countries with a higher proportion of agriculture workers see more seasonal changes in the the suicide rate than do developed countries and uh, Palmer says that the magnitude of seasonal changes in suicide rate is more than 10 times higher in Uruguay, for example, cool. than in Belgium.
1: Because suddenly the pressure's on. Let's get it. Let's grow things. We have to plant things. The cycle is uh, is, is heating up at right. the farm, and right. therefore the pressure is on you. There's more frustration, and uh, and that can spill over.
0: Now there are just there's a, a raft of controversial studies linking something like allergens or even temperature spikes to suicide mm-hmm. rates but there's really no one weather pattern or one variable that you can point to when it comes to those studies so I'm not going to spend much time other than to just Uh, mention that they are out there.
1: Yeah, because you start breaking it down, like with a lot of things, especially things that involve human behavior and its interaction with other factors. You start looking for that unified theory and things start breaking down. Uh, There's no no single argument for why people uh, are, are going to, you know, be more suicide-prone in the spring or summer, that matches up with one particular variable.
0: Right, because there's another subset of people who have committed suicide, and they happen to be cubicle workers, and this their uptick is in September. So you can't just say, across the board, it's spring and summer, and it's just agriculture workers. There's all sorts of factors going on here. But I think the real point here is that the darkest days... For humans, it's not, you know, in December and the holidays. This is just this myth that we perpetuate that this idea of moods and chemicals that mm-hmm. create our moods are far more nuanced than just saying, boom, this is what happens.
1: Yeah. Spring is about the world coming to life again, the world that you live in. And that can be a really happy thing. That can also be a really depressing thing,
0: or very a very stressful thing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So it, it, it depends on, uh, on your individual circumstance, really. In a number of ways.
0: So Robert. Yes. Now that you know about the International Pillow Fight Day, yes. uh-huh. you've got, we've got a couple of days to prepare here. Will you be participating?
1: No, because I'd probably have to bring my son there, and yeah. I don't really want him to see a bunch of uh, grown people hitting each other with pillows.
0: But, but there pillows are for naps working...
1: and sleeping. No,
0: nah, no, pillows are for expressing your love and your angst, and um, the fact that you, as you said, that we we uh, we survived it. We survived yeah. the winter time. Let's get out there and just whack each other silly.
1: Okay, well may, maybe next year. Maybe next year.
0: All right, that's not going to happen. You're just saying that. <laughs>
1: We'll see. We'll see.
0: All right. Uh, we should do a little bit of mail.
1: Yeah. Let me call over the robot and let's see what we have. <laughs> All right. This one comes to us from Adam. Adam says, hi, Robert and Julie. Just found your podcast on my long road trip from Texas. Illinois and heard your show, A Musical Time Machine for the Brain, and wanted to share my driving music with you. Pretty much any track by the techno band The Prodigy, but namely Breathe. Also, another favorite for adrenaline-pumping, fist-fighting, body-moving, head-bopping, vampire-sucking nights in a CD Russian nightclub would be the track Confusion by New World, featured in the Wesley Snipes vampire hunter movie Blade. Thanks for asking, Adam of Texas. This one comes to us from Lena. Lena says, Dear Robert and Julie, I really enjoyed your podcast, The Illusion of Continuity, because I'm in AP psychology, and we just finished our unit on sensory and perception. It was incredibly interesting. I had never realized the extent to which my senses cannot be trusted. However, the brain is also extraordinary in its ability to fill in gaps, filter out unnecessary stimuli, and make sense of complex images. It seems like the more science uh, figures out the human brain, the more questions one could ask about it. The dancing Spider-Man gif really cracked me up, by the way. I played K-pop and uh, some other songs, and it worked, although I could see some discontinuity. But maybe that was my years of music lessons kicking in. I love your podcast. Keep up the amazing work. Lena.
0: All right, we've got one more here, and this is from Iona. And in the subject line it says, this one has a really cute cat gif. And indeed, she did attach a gif of a cat on Uh, hind legs, legs, a kitty.
1: Was that a trick that she played on this to to try and make sure that we read this particular email and, and it didn't get lost. The, I don't know,
0: but it sack. worked. If it was, it worked. <laughs> um, it says, Hi, Robert and Julia. needed to let you know that Stuff to Blow Your Mind is my favorite podcast and makes my daily commute on the Northern Line, known to Londoners as the most depressing of all the tube lines, bearable. So thank you so much for all your hard work. Your podcast about the night janitor reminded me of the short story The Sweeper of Dreams by Neil Gaiman, which runs with the same analogy. It's super short, so it doesn't take long to read, and you can see it here, or there's a video of Gaiman reading it aloud. I managed to listen to your musical time machine for the Brain Podcast on the same day I read this essay on why we love repetition in music by the director of the Music Cognition Lab at Arkansas University. And yes, my mind was blown. This one isn't a super short read, but it is really interesting and even has audio clips where you can see how looping words make them seem as if they are being sung. That's about it. Again, please never stop. Thank you, Iona.
1: Awesome. It's always comforting to know that people are listening to us uh, on the tube, because I I, I have a, a thing for uh, for trains and underground trains especially. So I I fondly remember all the time I got to spend on the London Tube when I visited. Uh, so I, I I love the idea that we're reaching people in those underground spaces.
0: I feel like you need to hook up with Robin Hitchcock someday. Oh yeah? The, the, yeah, the singer-songwriter, cause mm-hmm. he has an obsession with trains. Oh cool. And uh, in fact he has an album called I Often Dream of Trains.
1: I will have to check that out.
0: Yes. But I do love that she was reading that essay at the same time mm-hmm. that she was checking out the podcast about music and how it works on the
1: brain. Very cool uh one final bit here I, I do want to point out we uh we we did the episode on, on the barry white effect and why uh barry white's uh voice resonated with us so much and we asked the question who's the new barry white are there any voices out there in the current world that are filling the same space you know for us that are mm-hmm. it's, it's able to be you know alluring but also safe uh some people pointed out neil degrasse tyson yes which is a, an interesting choice i th- i th- I love Neil deGrasse Tyson. I think sometimes when he's in argumentative mode, which is awesome, because there are things that Neil deGrasse and, uh, Tyson needs to argue about, and uh-huh. only he can argue about them, uh, especially on it really media talk.
0: only he can. Yeah, only yeah.
1: he can. He has the privileged position of doing it, and has all the tools to win the argument. Uh-huh. But you know, may, I think maybe he's a little less Barry White in that particular mode. Wow,
0: I was just thinking the opposite. Yeah. I was thinking in Cosmos, he's a little too soft. He's a little too reassuring. And hmm. that when he's fired up, you get a little bit more of the, the kind of grrr, yeah. the breathiness.
1: Huh. Well, I guess it, yeah, I guess it comes down to what do you want out of your Neil deGrasse Tyson. There's kind of like two, two flavors there. Uh, other people mentioned Benedict Cumberbatch. Who, of course, uh, this in addition to looking kind of like an otter, which we discuss in a, a, an upcoming video, mm-hmm. uh, also has a phenomenal voice that's uh, nice and deep and British, and uh, you can't help but uh, fall under its spell. So I think that's a, a decent uh, suggestion as well.
0: If you want to fall under our spell a little bit more, I'm, I'm kidding, I'm winking, I'm nudging, uh, there are a couple places you can do that. You can go to StuffToBlowYourMind.com. That
1: yes, that's the Mothership. That's where you'll find all our videos, all our podcasts, all our blogs, links out to our social media accounts, including uh, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, as well as our YouTube channel, which uh, you'll find on YouTube as Mind Stuff Show. Uh, be sure to keep an eye on that. We have some uh, some cool video products coming out, including a series that... Uh, that I just shot uh, titled Monster Science that's going to have a nice sort of uh, daytime horror monstery vibe while also uh, remaining uh, very steeped in uh, real world biology.
0: Indeed. And in the meantime if you would like to send us a note please do so and you can do that at BlowTheMindAtDiscovery.com For more on this and thousands of other topics visit HowStuffWorks.com